0: Sing for your luncheon and you'll get dinner, dine with wine of choice, if romance is in your
1: form. Hi there and welcome to Voice Box, your weekly guide to the art of singing and the best of the vocal music scene here on KALW. I'm Chloe Veltman, thanks for joining me this evening. As you know, KLW is in the middle of an incredibly important fun drive right now. So before we kick things off, I'd like to take a moment to share some thoughts with you about this amazing radio station. If you listen to KALW for even a few hours a week, you know the incredible range of programming you hear here at 91.7 FM. Programming that ranges from the global to the local, that gives you in-depth information and connects you to creative expression of all kinds. KALW draws its strength from the creativity and open-mindedness of the Bay Area and from listeners who show their support for radio that doesn't fit into a box, that can surprise you and show you something new. We ask for your support only twice a year. So, if you're someone who values the diverse, creative programmes you hear on KALW, now is the time to become a member or renew your membership. Donating is easy. Please visit kalw.org and click the Donate Now button. Or pick up the phone and dial 800-525-9917. That's 800-525-9917. And whether you call or click, you'll be given the opportunity to let the station know what you value on KALW. If you're glad KALW has opened up a space on the airwaves for Voicebox, please tell us. If there are other programmes that you want to sing the praises of, then by all means, go for it. But most importantly, make a contribution that will sustain all the programs you hear on local public radio. Please do it now at KALW.org or 800-525-9917. And thanks so much for your support. So on tonight's show, we're revisiting the all-important subject of vocal health. And I can think of no better way of introducing our topic for this evening than with this. This is
0: my vocal malfunction. This is why I can't sing at the moment. Hopefully one day I'll recover.
1: That is vocal cord nodules. That's from screaming.
0: So, singers, don't scream. It ruins your voice.
1: Poor girl. Here on KALW's voice box, we just heard the voice of a young singer who goes by the name of Lucy on YouTube. As you can hear lucy's voice does not sound in good shape at all she was diagnosed with polyps of the vocal cords and can seemingly no longer get through a simple major scale let alone the pop songs that judging by the other videos she's posted on youtube she so loves to sing but lucy need not despair for help is at hand on tonight's show we'll be looking at how voice therapy can help to solve some of the most troubling problems that singers like lucy commonly experience We'll look at a few real-life case studies featuring vocalists who work across a variety of vocal music genres and find out what a great vocal therapist can do to rescue an ailing voice. With me, Chloe Veltman, in the studio tonight to share her insights into the field of voice therapy is Sarah Schneider. Hi, Sarah. It's super to have you back on Voicebox once again.
0: Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
1: Me too. Sarah is a speech-language pathologist at the University of California at San Francisco Voice and Swallowing Center and a member of the American Speech-Language Hearing Association or ASHA. Sarah is also a singer herself. She studied voice privately and has sung in choirs as well as in musical theatre productions. She's a member of the St Dominic's Traditional Choir in San Francisco but is currently taking a break from the chorus owing to recently becoming a mum. So Sarah, we're going to share the stories of a few singers that you yourself worked with at UCSF, but first I'd like to define some key vocal therapy terms and talk about Lucy's voice a little bit. As I understand it from what you've told me, a nodule is one of several vocal issues that falls under the broad category of vocal fold lesions. What are vocal fold lesions and how do they affect a singer's vocal abilities?
0: So uh, vocal fold lesions are basically small or, or large growths that happen on the vocal folds and the lesions that we're going to be referring to or the bumps that we're referring to are all benign lesions that usually come about from the way a person is using their voice. So you can't get uh, throat cancer from one of
1: these lesions? no. You cannot. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> relief. Yeah, relief. Um, so music history is full of cases of vocal fold lesions messing up singers' careers in both the short and long term. Whitney Houston, for instance, developed nodules during her famous Bodyguard tour in 1993-94, to 94, and at the time she wasn't able to rest her voice to prevent permanent damage. She has been able to continue a successful singing career since then, but her voice has developed a noticeable darker and hoarser tone than before. And the musical theatre performer Idina Menzel developed vocal nodules after performing in Wicked for over a year. And her voice also took on a harsher, huskier tone as a result. And a couple of other examples, the blues singer Lee Ryan and Steve Ulgari of the band Journey are examples of singers who had to cancel or pull out of tours owing to these problems. So it's pretty significant. Um, can you also tell us specifically what is a nodule? So a
0: nodule is like a callus that develops on the vocal folds. So there are two, people think that there are often more than one, there are many vocal folds that produce different pitches, and there are really two vocal folds that open in a V when you breathe, and they come together when you make sound. Nodules develop one on each vocal fold because at the primary point of contact. So as the vocal folds come together, that's the first spot that hits, and it develops
1: Sort of like a callus. Ooh, sounds nasty. And um, what are the other types of lesion that commonly afflicts singers' vocal cords? So there can be, as we said, nodules, polyps, which are
0: more like um, th- they're more like a fluid-filled lesion. It can be kind of like a blister, but not Ooh. exactly the same. And then cysts, which are sort of a piece of of damaged tissue kind of breaks off in the vocal fold itself and then becomes encapsulated in in a little sort of ball
1: or lesion underneath the skin of the vocal fold. Ooh, sounds ugly. Is one kind of lesion worse than another or they generally can all be bad or all be moderate depending on
0: it depends on sort of the size of the lesion and how it's affecting the person's voice. Um, some people can have lesions and, and, and they've just always sound raspy and they've never had really a lot of trouble with their voice. Other people have lesions and because of maybe the genre of music they sing, it really affects their vocal fold vibration and then makes it sound uh, less appealing. Usually nodules can respond nodules and polyps can respond better to therapy and nodules can even resolve with therapy some polyps are are responsive to therapy but may need to be surgically excised and cysts in the same way may need to be surgically excised but may be manageable with therapy but may not go
1: away with oh, therapy I see okay so it's really up to the specific cases yes so what exactly is a voice therapist? What is it you do for a living, Sarah? <laughs> so
0: a voice therapist um, is under the broader care- category of a sp- uh, speech pathologist or speech therapist. Um, we go to... Uh, graduate school in, in speech pathology and often take maybe one course in voice work, and then um, a speech pathologist that's specialized in voice will do extra training to become a voice specialist. For example, I did a, a year fellowship at the Vanderbilt Voice Center to become really specialized in voice. I see. Okay. So
1: let's talk a little bit about Lucy, the poor yeah. singer that we heard at the top of the show with her okay. really, really unhappy sounding voice. If Lucy were to come into your office seeking help for her polyps problem, uh-huh. what would you do with her? Could you t- talk us through a typical evaluation, a typical process? Sure. please? So if initially, if she were to come
0: to our office, we would it would be um I, I potentially or one of our other speech pathologists, in addition to one of our laryngologists, our ENT doctors that specialize in voice, would come into the room, take her case history, find out when her voice started to change. Is she a screamer, as she referred to? Mm-hmm. Does she sing? What kind of music does she sing? How did the voice problem come about? Uh, we parse out those details. Then we take do we take some pictures of the vocal folds uh, which is done through video stroboscopy. Stroboscopy. Now, what is a video stroboscope? (laughs) (laughs) So we take. uh, Generally, we use a rigid scope that goes into the mouth. Doesn't go any. It does not go down your throat. Is what many people are scared of. It just goes to your back molar and peeks over your tongue. You don't need anesthetic. No anesthetic. Peeks over the back of the tongue, and then we can see the vocal folds because of the magnification in the scope. We can actually see them up on a TV screen. They look much larger than they are, and then. There's a strobe light, like you would see in a club, that gives us, uh, the vo- lets us see the vocal folds uh, vibrating in apparent slow motion. Wow. And then we can assess that vibration. In women, the vocal folds vibrate about 225 times a second. So the light, the strobe light, helps to slow it down or give it that look of slowing it down so that we can actually see what's happening
1: and how fast they vibrate in men
0: um about 100 to 130 times a second oh, they're slower Those yes <laughs> so, anyways, heavier. <laughs> so, so having taken lucy in and performed yes. this uh exam exam on yeah. her then what would you do then at that point we would discuss um sort of the behaviors that brought on the lesions, the potential development of those lesions, and then how we could change that. Likely the first course of treatment would be voice therapy so we can change the behaviors that cause them and then if they don't respond to therapy or if she gets better with therapy but it's not quite where she wants to be then if surgical
1: excision may be discussed. Oh wow, that sounds serious. Um, I mean is there always a case to be made for operating on a singer? I mean how often do so do, do you prescribe that or does a doctor prescribe that? Yes.
0: In in our case, um the physician I work with is very believes really strongly in behavioral intervention, and his, fee- in his and my feeling, if there is a lesion that was caused by the way the voice is being used, it's best to change the behaviors prior to intervening with surgical intervention, because if the behaviors don't change, the lesion can be taken off and then can develop again. So the idea, we always make the case, if you don't have to have surgery, don't have surgery. There are an inherent risks in surgery that are not there if you're doing voice therapy. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's the less invasive approach. Sure, but it's probably the longer approach, right? Voice therapy it takes is. time, whereas if you have an operation, I suppose some people think of it as a quick fix. Right.
0: Some people would think of it as a quick fix. But then with the operation, it, if you, it, the issue is, again, in coming back to that... Have we changed the behaviors or are we going to run into the same problem again? So that post-op or pre-op or post-op voice therapy is going to be the key in 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 going back to healthy voice
1: use. And in terms of the costs of all this, I mean, how does the cost of surgery compare to a long course of voice therapy, for example? So
0: th- voice therapy is significantly less costly than a surgery. And um, insurance companies are, are seeing this over time that they would rather pay for therapy and then if surgery is a last resort. Um, and there's even literature in the
1: research to support that. I see. So when is it best for a patient to come in for treatment? Should people wait until they sound as bad as Lucy <laughs> did in that So snippet?
0: poor Lucy, she should come in. <laughs> um, it's best to come in as soon as you're noticing a problem. It, it, say you've been sick and you've rested your voice and you know, I've had a cold, wait a couple of weeks. weeks, see if it's going to go away. But if it's something that persists longer than two to three weeks to a month, it's worth getting it checked out and catching it early, so as pro- to prevent any uh, further deterioration.
1: So apart from the stroboscope, I don't yes. know if that's what it's called, <laughs> um, are there any other tools of your trade? What else do you have in your in your office that's important for examining people and treating them yeah. and so on? So um, that's one of the primary
0: modes of evaluation because we really want to see what's on the vocal fold so we know how to treat the patient. We also have a voice lab where we do um, acoustic measures of the voice and aerodynamic measures. The aerodynamic just is measuring the airflow that you're using while you're making voice. We measure that, and it gives us a good idea of sort of, again, how the mechanism is working with numbers attached to it. Okay, and anything else? Otherwise, it's just... Therapy techniques. <laughs> right, which require which, no equipment, just no. the... Just our ear and um, knowledge of how the voice works so
1: that we can try to
0: maximize that.
1: Do you ever use mirrors at all? I mean, in my vocal yes. lessons, sometimes we use mirrors. Yes, that's
0: a good point. I, t- I guess I take that for granted. It, there's a mirror right next to the table where we sit to do therapy. So we do often use a mirror.
1: Uh-huh.
0: One thing I I like to do with patients is show them, but then say, how does it look? But then how does it feel? So they can replicate it without seeing themselves i see so that's a good Uh, good point
1: okay this is voice box on kalw 91.7 fm san francisco Tonight's voice box show, vocal health expert Sarah Schneider is in the studio with me, Chloe Veltman. We're talking about how voice therapy can transform the lives of singers suffering from vocal ailments such as polyps, cysts and nodules on the vocal folds. We just heard a song entitled Teaser by the San Francisco based rock singer and songwriter Stephanie Teal. The song comes from her new CD More Than a Dream. Stephanie was a patient of Sarah's at UCSF and very kindly let Sarah and I use her as a case study on tonight's show. The song we just played is an example of Stephanie's voice post-treatment, and as you can hear, it's in pretty good shape. Sarah, can you tell us a bit about Stephanie's background as a singer, please? So she
0: has uh, been singing in a rock band for 40 years. Um, Her
1: voice sounds really young, actually. Yeah,
0: she sounds great. Yeah. for, so she currently is singing with her her own band, the Stephanie Teal Band, and um, she, she's she been singing rock for all that time. She took some voice lessons at one point and um, studied voice, but kind of intermittently over time. Um, and I mean, that's the, the main
1: sort of history on her singing. And um, besides singing, how else does Stephanie use her voice in a professional way? she works as a captain of a charter boat
0: so in addition to all of her singing she has pretty high vocal demand in that regard too with some loud voice use and and requirements in that way and
1: this is important for you to know as a vocal therapist right it's not even though she's a singer i guess it's right. important for you to know about her whole Yeah.
0: So sometimes singers will come in and sort of say, this is my issue with my singing voice here. And we sort of want to get the whole entire picture of what is your vocal demand across the board? Do you are you do you live with someone? Do you live alone? Do you have a dog? Do you have kids?
1: Do you have you know, how are you using your voice outside of just singing? Because I guess it could be the case that the singing isn't the issue at all. And in fact, the reason that they're in so much pain is because they're shouting on a, a very noisy uh, factory, totally. or office, or, exactly. or yelling at their kids all <laughs> yeah. the time. Well, the knows? dog is barking all the time, you exactly. know, something, like, something exactly. that
0: maybe you take for granted in your day
1: as sort of normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what prompted Stephanie to come to see you at UCSF? Did she come of her own accord or did a doctor or a singing teacher or some other voice professional send her to you?
0: So Stephanie came on her own. She had started having some voice changes um, after a cough that she had developed. And after the cough resolved, she continued to have some hoarseness and vocal fatigue, especially after performances. Um, and she, she often would feel sort of hoarse after a performance for maybe a day or so, but after this cough developed and the hoarseness increased, she was taking you know even two, three, even four days to recover. She'd do a gig and then take a couple days, and then she'd have another gig scheduled. She had to go from you know doing gigs almost nightly to doing about one gig a week because the recovery time was so long.
1: And how long had this been going on for then before she came to see you? So I, it was about, I think, a few
0: months it was, let's see, about six months. Oh, and yeah.
1: Would you say that's about the average amount of time that people leave it before they come and see you? Or is... You know, it, it depends. One case
0: we're going to talk about later, she, waited, she had been having trouble on and off for years and didn't seek treatment until she completely lost her voice. So I, mean, I think you know it depends on the person and I think the genre of music they're singing, what, what's required
1: of them. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about genres later. That's yeah. very interesting. So, also, I think you told me that she had undergone some surgery. Yeah. Right? So, in
0: the '70s, she had had nodules removed from her vocal folds, and wasn't really didn't have any significant voice problems since that time until she came to our office.
1: Right. So she'd had that experience before with a, the with a voice therapist back in the 70s or just a doctor? I think or?
0: that she just, ha- I don't know all of the details of that previous surgery, but I think she just had the nodules removed. But at that point, she had also had some voice lessons. So that may, those may have coincided.
1: Right. Back in the 70s, I mean, how well was the field of voice therapy developed? I mean, would she have even been able to get the kind of treatment back then that she can get today? There definitely were some speech therapists that
0: did voice at that time, but there were many fewer speech pathologists that were doing that. So it may have, depending on where she was, been, been unavailable. Yeah, ah, I see. It wasn't necessarily the standard of care at that time.
1: Oh, okay. So how did uh, the doctor and you go about diagnosing Stephanie?
0: So what we first did was, just like I was talk- we were talking about earlier, take her case history and ask her all these things about the how much is she using her voice on the boat, how many gigs is she doing, does she have a good monitoring system while she's singing at the, in these different venues. Um, finding out all of that information and how it sort of progressed from the onset. And then we took some pictures of her vocal folds. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, then the doctor diagnosed her with um a left vocal fold hemorrhagic polyps goodness (laughs) a left what was
1: that again one more time please left vocal fold hemorrhagic polyps okay now let's just pause for a second the hemorrhagic part what is that all about so that means that there is
0: some blood in in the actual lesion Yeah. yeah so so that indicates that that her voice got a little beat up you know no kidding. and well whether it was from years of singing rock music but she didn't have problems up until she developed that cough so maybe the cough was what it sounds like what the cough
1: did was push her over the edge oh my goodness and would there be any danger of those uh, Ble- lesions from actually bleeding and then coughing up blood and all kinds of no I'm like being so, a little overly no, dramatic no, no, no. There so maybe? people do
0: ask that question that's a good question so generally when um, for like it, since she had a cough and there was a little blood in the lesions, generally those lesions, they don't pop like a blister or like <laughs> a, a, z- a zit or something <laughs> like that. They're not popping, they're contain. they're self-contained. Oh, so well, you will not cough up blood
1: or you well, shouldn't that, cough up blood. That, that's <laughs> it may a, be a whole different issue. Right. Yeah. Maybe tuberculosis or something yes. else <laughs> and other cheery things. Um, okay. So, so you have a diagnosis right. and then what did uh, you and the doctor recommend treatment wise? So at that
0: point, um, I jump in and started talking about therapy and how um, since this all started sort of with the cough and then with getting worse the more she used her voice, we wanted to see if we could change some vocal behaviors and make her voice a little bit more efficient to see if we could maybe make the lesion smaller or even go away and get her back to doing what she wanted to do. And then if she didn't, that's, Dr. Corey had mentioned, you know, if you don't get back to where you need to be, then we can always, we
1: can consider surgery, but let's try the therapy first. Okay. So that's when you take charge. Yes. And how did you work with Stephanie to help resolve her problems? So with
0: Stephanie, we um, first began by kind of identifying areas of of vocal tension. Where, Where, what is she doing with her voice and how is that? Manifesting, or what maybe is causing the tension? Is it her tongue? Is it her jaw? Is she using good airflow? Is she using good resonance? And we started by targeting that in her speaking voice. Oh, ah. so um, initially, like I was saying, we started with her speaking voice because, she, and even a professional singer who's doing a gig a week or a, a nightly gigs is probably speaking more than they're singing. Huh, that's interesting. So, so we always want to make sure is the speaking voice as efficient as it can be and is it the speaking voice that's kind of pushing the singing voice over the edge?
1: Okay and so this is what you do with every person you work with you always start with a speaking voice or does it depend on the case?
0: It really it does depend on the case I would say in the majority of cases, I will address the speaking voice in some way, whether we work directly on exercises to address it, or we just talk about, you know, be aware of how you're using your speaking voice. Mm -hmm. Are you, you know, yelling and shouting? Are you um, kind of just being lazy with your voice and kind of sitting in the back of your throat, not using a lot of airflow? You know, what's happening? I see. And what are the
1: hallmarks of a healthy speaking voice?
0: So when I listen to somebody's voice, the things I'm listening for are sort of do they, do they have oral resonance? Are they in the back of their throat or are they in the front of their mouth? That yeah, sounds very different. Yeah. Or like I just was showing you, are they using any airflow? Are they not using airflow? So I'm not using airflow and now I'm using airflow. <laughs> so, so those two things, resonance and airflow, and also even just watching them, how much tension do they have? Are they clenching their jaw and not mm-hmm. moving their mouth? Mm-hmm. Something like that. I see. And then how do you take this knowledge and then apply it to singing? So that's sometimes why it's great to start with the speaking voice, depending, is it, is it inefficient or is it not? Picking areas of um, sort of, yes, you're using great airflow in your speaking. Let's now use that into singing. We might maybe with, um, with a tongue out trill that we had done in the past, or maybe some humming. We want the st- voice to be more forward. So we hmm, start with some glides, some sirens, and then go into some vocalizes. I see. Okay.
1: And how many sessions did Stephanie go through with you?
0: So um, Stephanie had an evaluation with me and then four sessions of therapy.
1: Just four sessions? Yeah.
0: So And she she was really motivated. She worked really hard on her own. I mean, I gave her some exercises and she did them. And she came back and she said, here's where I'm having trouble. We tweaked it and then she'd go back and practice. She was really diligent about kind of being on the ball with everything and made great progress. So what was the outcome? Is, have she, has she been completely cured of her problems? So she came back to see Dr. Corey and I mm. on, a, on a clinic, and we looked at her vocal folds again, and the improvement, uh, there was a lot of improvement in the way her vocal folds looked. The little sort of hemorrhagic appearance had gone away, the lesions, her vocal folds looked a lot smoother, mm-hmm. um, and her complaints had resolved. Oh, I see. She well, was able to increase her vocal demand, sing, do, work up her schedule and do her gigs again. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. That's and amazing. That
1: really and how is she maintaining her progress? So at
0: this point, um, we just spoke and she said, you know, Sarah, I'm, I'm still practicing the CD of exercises you gave me. I'm practicing a CD for my singing teacher and I've got, gotten better monitors. <laughs> well, that's
1: a very heartening story. Yeah. So in a moment, I'd like to move on to our next case study where we'll talk about a local singer by the name of Emily Hayes, whose career has moved from jazz to country music. But before that, as it's our twice yearly pledge drive here at KALW, I'd like to pause for a moment to ask for your support for the radio station once again. KALW is a local independent operation. We don't receive financial backing from NPR or share funds with any other public radio station. And nearly three quarters of our budget comes directly from listeners. That independence allows us to be responsive to this community and bring the amazing skills and imaginations of the Bay Area's best creative minds to the airwaves. Voicebox has only been on the air since January, but since then we feature the talents of more than 100 local vocal music artists and groups, from such world-renowned groups as the San Francisco Opera and Chanticleer to eclectic bands like the Conspiracy of Beards and Loop Station, to individuals like singer-songwriter Brian Gore and the operatic soprano Leah Crocetto. If you believe these artists deserve a platform and a place on the radio dial, know that KLW is the place for that, and only you can keep it strong and connected to this community. So please, show your support for local public radio right now. It's easy if you click the Donate Now button at klw.org or pick up the phone and make a call to 800-525-9917. That's 800-525-9917. And when you make that call or click that link, consider becoming a sustaining supporter of KALW. You can do this by giving a monthly contribution on an ongoing basis, either on your credit card or directly from your savings or checking account. Your continued support allows us to plan our finances and reduce our costs. You can find all the information about becoming a sustaining member at kalw.org or by calling 800 525 9917. Once again, that's 800 525 9917. Thank you for getting behind Voicebox and KALW. tuned into Voicebox on klw 91.7 fm san francisco we just heard the local country singer emily hayes giving her rendition of the patsy klein song strange on tonight's show voice therapist sarah schneider of ucsf is in the studio with me for a discussion about how voice therapy techniques can be applied to solving singers vocal problems Emily was a patient of Sarah's. She, like Stephanie, the singer that we discussed earlier on in the program, sweetly gave Sarah and I permission to talk about her treatment process on tonight's show. So Sarah, can you give us the lowdown on Emily's career as a singer? What's her story? So Emily, so I'm gonna
0: start kind of later on in her career, closer to where we're gonna, what we're going to address. But she was singing as, with, as a vocalist with a jazz pianist in London and at that point was having no problems with her voice. Uh, she transitioned to singing more with a jazz band where she sort of describes not being able to hear herself as well and not having great monitors. Sometimes she did, sometimes she didn't. Um, at that time, she became ill and continued to sing through her illness. Ooh. Yes. And so that's sort of when this uh, series of voice difficulty began. She came back to the U.S. She was evaluated by uh, not one of our physicians, an outside physician. At that point, she was diagnosed with a vocal nodule. Oh, yes. She was on three weeks of voice rest and the nodule apparently resolved. But then when she resumed singing, she started having more trouble again. Oh, I see.
1: Wow, Mm -hmm. poor Emily. So, yeah, I know about this business about singing through illness because I experienced it earlier this year myself because I tried to sing through laryngitis. Um, I had a bunch of concerts to perform with my choir and various other things involving my voice, and it turned out to be a really bad idea. It got to the point where I lost my upper register entirely, and I felt this terrible burning in my throat a lot of the time. And some listeners of this show may have heard my attempt to host Voicebox uh, all about comedy and singing, the episode was a few months back when my voice was at its very worst and the joke was really on me that night and my singing teacher scolded me and told me that I should have rested my voice entirely but he also suggested that I should see a voice specialist to make sure that I hadn't done any lasting damage Um, and I I haven't been to see (laughs) a voice therapist yet but actually I think I probably should because there are still some notes in my range around an octave above middle C that Mm -hmm. still don't sound right so you know, I don't think the issue has resolved itself completely, and I wouldn't be surprised if I had. Well, hopefully, some there's nothing there. <laughs> well, hopefully, there's nothing there. But maybe I'll get you to take a quick look after of the show. Of course. So, um, Sarah, can you tell us a bit more about why it's dangerous to sing through an illness? So when we're sick, generally, especially like with a cold
0: or laryngitis or bronchitis or those things that affect our throat and, or congestion, um, the vocal folds often are swollen. And if they're swollen and then you push through to continue singing and trying to sing in the range that you want to sing in, then the vocal folds have to hit with more impact they're swollen, they're hitting at higher impact, you're probably straining because they don't want to vibrate as well, and then it can cause more irritation. Oh, I see. Okay. So so it's really all about sort of that you're sick and it's irritated and then you're irritating
1: it more. Okay. And um, why do singers often lose their upper registers when they get vocal problems? And is it just women who lose the upper registers or does this happen to men too? So
0: the reason um, that anyone can lose their upper register when they're sick is because the vocal folds become swollen, they're heavier, and they don't stretch as well to reach those high pitches. So at at lower pitches, the vocal folds are short and fat. At higher pitches, they're long and thin. So often when people are sick, they lose
1: their upper and gain a few notes on the bottom. I see. And that's the same for both sexes, is it? Yes. Oh, Okay. Okay. So how did you go about treating our case study patient, Emily? So
0: with Emily, um, one of the things we addressed, she's also a medical journalist. In addition to doing her professional singing, we addressed her speaking voice and her singing voice. We talked a lot about uh, vocal hygiene, talking about staying hydrated, the monitors that she was using, can she hear herself when she's singing instead of trying to push to hear herself to actually feel what's happening with her voice and try to rely on the feeling maybe that of more forward resonance of that vibration in your mouth versus that pushing and effort in the throat. with Emily, we also did some laryngeal massage. Ooh, and, what does that involve? Yes, so laryngeal massage involves um, involves massaging the muscles on the outside of the larynx. Using your fingers? Using your fingers. So if, if for example, one spot would be if you feel for the Adam's apple and go slightly above into the sides, that's the outside of the thyroid cartilage where the vocal folds are housed. And we can massage that muscle and those muscles in there.
1: And so would somebody go and see a massage therapist for a (laughs) laryngeal (laughs) massage? Or is it something you typically do on your own?
0: I usually do, and I will teach my patients how to do it. Some massage therapists are versed in laryngeal massage, but many of them sort of stay on those larger muscles on the outside of the neck Mm -hmm. and not over the larynx.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what was the outcome of the treatment with Emily?
0: So Emily did did really well in in therapy. We started, when we initially started, we started with her speaking voice and actually asked her to stop singing because it seemed like the singing was making it worse. So Mm -hmm. we started with the speaking voice, then gradually added singing back in. And then she was starting as we ended therapy, her vocal folds looked significantly better on uh, this video stroboscopy. And we had started singing in our sessions. She had kind of d- started doing some open mics again. And then she started with a singing voice teacher and has continued some of that
1: work. And how many vocal therapy sessions does she have with So you?
0: with Emily, I think we had about eight sessions, mm-hmm. um, give or take. Uh-huh. And, um, and yeah, and then she was ready to kind of, it became from voice rehab more to where she's working more on just developing her singing voice, which we sort of hand over to the singing voice teacher.
1: And why does a a patient like Emily need eight sessions as opposed to Stephanie who just
0: needed four? So it depends. Everybody's body heals slightly differently Mm -hmm. um, or at a different rate. Some people, um, not to indicate that Emily didn't pick up on the exercises quickly, people just pick up on them at different rates. Some people need four sessions, some people need 12 sessions. varies from person to person. So there's no average, really? Um, I would say on average, we would probably do for a singer about eight sessions, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes less, sometimes more.
1: So what needs to happen in order for Emily to make a complete recovery and get her voice back? I gather that certain aspects of it are... So, Still, there's room for improvement,
0: right? Yeah, so when, we were, when I was speaking with Emily recently, she said, you know, my singing voice, actually, if I compare the recordings from prior to having voice trouble and now, she said the recordings sound pretty similar. She feels like there's great forward resonance. She's able to achieve those techniques in her singing. But she catches herself. She does, uh, for her medical journalism, she tapes her interviews and will listen back. And she said, you know, unless I'm thinking about my speaking voice, it kind of falls back in my throat and I can hear it get a little bit, kind of maybe a little more rough and throaty. But if she thinks about it, she can fix it. So that's something um, that she needs to keep thinking about so that she can keep her voice on track. It's about having it there
1: in her conscience.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, So Emily changed genres from singing jazz to country music over the Mm -hmm. course of her career so far. Do you approach the treatment of vocalists in different ways depending on the kind of music they sing? So, the primary goals when
0: we're working to rehab a singer's voice is really to balance out airflow, to reduce tension in the vocal mechanism, and to achieve resonance. I think if I, you know, when I'm working with, for example, a musical theater Person, I may try to help them get a little bit more exaggerated nasal resonance to give them more ping if they're trying to do a healthy mixed belt. Where with um, an opera singer, I may not be be shooting for that same degree of resonance. Right, you know, it's slightly different. So, so yes, we're approaching it differently, but the concepts that we're functioning under are the same.
1: I see. And to what extent can singers get away with having lesions on their vocal folds or other vocal problems? Does it depend on what? genre of music you're singing
0: absolutely i think for a classical singer to have a small polyp on their vocal fold it's going to have more effect or not necessarily more effect it's going to it's going to change the quality of the sound probably to a degree that they may not want where when a rock singer or a jazz singer has a small polyp they can accept maybe maybe they even want a little bit raspier or edgier sound So yeah, there are different expectations for the singers.
1: Let's listen to two contrasting voices now to get a clearer sense of the different qualities that singers in particular genres possess. We'll hear the husky-toned pop diva Bonnie Tyler singing Total Eclipse of the Heart, followed by the classical tenor Luciano Parotti's rendition of the aria Che la creda from the opera La fanciola del West by Giacomo Puccini. This is Voicebox on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. Sarah Schneider, a speech-language pathologist at UCSF, is in the studio with me this evening for a discussion about voice therapy and its impact on singers' lives. We just heard the voices of two contrasting singers, Bonnie Tyler singing Total Eclipse of the Heart, one of my favorite pop anthems, followed by the classical tenor Luciano Pavarotti's version of the aria "Chella ni creda" from the opera La fanciulla del West. Both Pavarotti and Tyler suffered from nodules on their vocal folds, as it happens. Pavarotti developed vocal fold nodules early in his career, leading him to renounce a life of music. Ironically, the psychological release associated with this decision, and soon after, disappearance of the nodules, led to an incredible improvement in his sound quality. Bonnie Tyler, in 1977, found out that she had nodules that were so severe that she had to have surgery for their removal. After the surgery was performed, she was ordered not to speak for six weeks. And one day while healing, she accidentally screamed and her voice took on the famous raspy quality that we associate so strongly with her. It's probably fair to say that if Pavarotti had gone the same route as Tyler, he wouldn't have had a career at all, right, Sarah?
0: Most likely, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) No one likes a raspy opera singer, but Mm -hmm. somehow in pop, it's acceptable, I guess. Mm -hmm. But even if having a raspy voice becomes something of a hallmark for a singer, Tyler's case speaks volumes about the importance of rehabilitation after vocal surgery and during and after voice therapy. But vocal rest isn't easy for someone who loves to sing and maybe even makes a living with their voice. Sarah, do you have any tips for singers in the rehab process? assess after their treatment? So one um, thing that I would comment on is that
0: often after surgery now, um, kind of like with a hip surgery or knee surgery, we're trying to get people to use their voice after surgery. We do one week of complete voice rest, and then over the next three weeks, we gradually increase the time with which they're using their voice, you know, five minutes an hour for the first week after that week of voice rest, 10 to 15 minutes an hour the next week, 30 minutes an hour the next week, so we're gradually increasing their voice use over time, so they're Not totally deprived of using their voice. They're getting it back in shape and doing exercises. But with that said, don't scream
1: after you have surgery. Right, it was the message at the start of the show. <laughs> yes. It's going to be the message at the end of yes. the show. No screaming. <laughs> so, there's one more singer from your practice at UCSF that I'd like to discuss in brief before we sign off for tonight, Sarah. We'll call her Patient C because we didn't get written clearance to use her name, though she did agree to letting us use her story. We also unfortunately don't have any audio clips of her singing, but she's an interesting person to talk about because she's a Brazilian samba artist, again based here in the Bay Area, who came in for vocal therapy after she suffered acute voice loss during a performance. Sarah, please could you outline C's case for us? Absolutely.
0: So this patient uh, had been had been performing and lost her voice acutely in the middle of a performance. And she said, She was able to push through, but after that, she couldn't speak or make any sound. So she was seen by an outside ENT. She was placed on a week of voice rest. And while her voice did improve during that week of voice rest, it did not return to her normal sort of baseline voice. And I should say that she was a professional She's been a professional singer over many years and often had intermittent voice complaints throughout that time, but didn't seek any treatment until this period of acute voice loss. So then, after her voice did not return to normal, she came to our office, and we evaluated her. This was about six months after the original event, and her primary complaints were that her voice was raspy, it was unreliable, it would cut out on her, the more she used it, the worse it would get. She didn't have pain, but her speaking voice was lower, she lost part of her pitch range. So she had really high vocal demand. She was the manager of her band. She was the lead singer. She was a dance instructor. So she was using her voice a lot. So we started voice therapy and basically we worked on modifying her vocal demand, which was hard, but did a few sessions. She improved and found stability, but is still feeling some complaints
1: with her voice. I see. So despite vocal therapy, patient C hasn't yet made a full recovery. Sarah, can you talk about instances where vocal therapy doesn't provide a complete solution? What are the shortcomings of vocal therapy techniques in helping singers solve issues?
0: So it depends on the lesion, like we were talking at, at the start of the show. If it's, a, for example, a cyst, um, we might do therapy. The patient may say, you know what, I'm not having pain with voice use. My voice is more reliable now. But they're still raspy and they're raspy because of that lesion. So that's when, um, Surgery would be indicated. And that's a shortcoming of therapy. It's not going to make all lesions go away. And we're trying to help the patient manage their voice, get the best voice with that lesion there or helping the lesion go away. And if it doesn't, that's when surgery may be indicated.
1: And what about certain other kinds of alternative therapies? You know, I mean, I know a lot of singers go into pharmacies and buy throat sprays, and yes. some people might recommend acupuncture or massage or. Right. You know, meditation, <laughs> eating carrots, I don't know, what, what's, uh, what are your thoughts? So my, my thought is if the voice problem is
0: b- brought about by a vocal technique issue, those alternative therapies might help in reducing tension or reducing, you know, the stress related to it, but it's probably not going to make that lesion go away. So it's really about um, doing some voice
1: therapy or voice lessons in conjunction with those alternative therapies. Okay. Well, it's coming up to 11pm and it's sadly time to wrap up tonight's show. A mighty thank you to the wonderful Sarah Schneider, UCSF Vocal Health Expert, and my special guest in the studio this evening for being here. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And thanks also to Jan Ma, my terrific studio engineer, and to listener Dave Gomberg for his help with creating a presence for Voicebox on Wikipedia this week. On this programme, we try to expand the boundaries of what you might expect to hear on a programme devoted to vocal music. That means listening across time periods, musical genres and geographies, talking to experts about how the voice works and combining the best of the local vocal music scene with the singing talents of artists from the rest of the country and around the world. This kind of programme that's willing to take risks, cross boundaries, introduces people to new sounds, fits right in with KALW, a station where you can hear my word and my music, fascinating rhythm, voice box and music from other minds, all on a Friday night. If KALW is a place you come not only to be entertained and informed, but to open your ears and discover new ideas and music, you know how rare this kind of station is, and you probably understand that it's the support of listeners that makes that possible. So please act on that understanding right now and give your support to KALW and Voicebox. Click the Donate Now button at KALW.org or call 800-525-9917. Your contribution will keep adventurous, challenging local public radio alive. And thanks so much for your help. VoiceBox is produced at the studios of KALW in San Francisco and is made possible by support from the Wattis Foundation and our listeners. And this episode of VoiceBox was generously underwritten by the American Speech Language Hearing Association, making effective communication a human right, accessible and achievable for all. Visit www.asher.org and enter voice disorders into the homepage search engine for more information. And finally, a quick word about next week's show. If it weren't for catchy songs, visiting the local gym might be even more of an ordeal than it already is. Next week, feel the pounds fly off as fitness instructors Matthew Perkins and Timothy Clark join me in the studio for a chat about the fascinating relationship between singing and keeping fit and the songs we most love to work out to. I'll play us out with a track by Lucy, the young singer we heard at the beginning who could barely sing a scale after being afflicted with polyps of her vocal folds. Here she is with Everybody's Fool by the rock band Evanescence. Here she's sounding more like her usual self. Have a songful week.